once again, welcome to another edition of the ArenaCraft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. Along today with Kovac Go Blue, the oft-referenced, the very blue, the incredibly blue mage, the one and the only one and best of one, Kovac Go Blue. Hi! How are you doing today, my buddy? I just wrapped a stream, so I have the like onstage buzz that comes when the show is kind of over, so I might be a little crazy. And I just want to take the moment to also introduce the other host of the show, the sleeveless, the bearded, <laughs> the, the accented, the spectacles wearing, the shiny haired Arjuna Perkins. Wow, that's awesome, man. You know what? I, I usually have to intro myself in some random fashion, so I appreciate that. You know, if there's one thing we do on this show, it's give hosts props, whether they're guests or just existing hosts, and I'm glad that we do that, because we're pretty cool, man, I gotta say. I agree. You're cool, at least. That's that's a thing I say all the time. You you are cool. Indeed. I, I just kind of, uh, I'm just along for the ride. Oh, man. Well, the, the ever-modest Kovaco Blue is going to help us get into our main topic today, which is going to be the Strixhaven graduation. We're going to be talking about the set, how it's been landing. We'll talk about some of the card cycles and just kind of get into the impact that it has made on the matter. And I'm I'm kind of assuming that we might do a little discussion on how it's going to be post-rotation as well, because I think no discussion about any of these sets that are releasing right now is complete without covering that. So that's going to be the main thrust. First, we have a few things to get into. Um, we have our usual question of the week segment today. And I was thinking, you know, I was thinking that I might reserve this topic for like a main episode, but actually after looking at the results of our uh, survey that we did with people, which is another thing we're going to talk about today, it kind of made me think like maybe we're not going to make this a big focus of the podcast. So I'm, I'm going to just bring it up quickly in this question of the week. And it was asked by user Clicks, who uh, we mentioned recently on the show, who also recently asked a pretty... Good question that I think will be helpful to people. Clicks asks, regarding additional options, programs that run in the background while playing Magic, are there particular ones that stand above the others that provide value to the player, and which ones do you prefer, and why? There are some more questions here, but that's really the basic one. So Kovac Blue is already putting his face in his hands. What what, <laughs> what are you thinking about, CGB? What's going through your head? The, the timing is, is super awkward for me because I'm... I have had a great relationship with a deck tracker that uh, I've been mentioning in all of my videos, and I, they've paid me a lot of affiliates thanks to the downloads. Thank you, everybody who's downloaded it. But I'm about to switch which company I'm sponsored by, Got it. <laughs> and I don't okay. know which one I'm supposed to plug right now. Oh, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> well... <laughs> You, you just so you just got to give them all equal shrift and hope that it all works out in the end, man. Dude, it's so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Way to put you on the spot, baby. You know, if there's anything I know about you, CGB, you're a great improviser, so I think, uh, I think we'll do well. Uh, the first one that I want to mention is untapped.gg. If you're not using this one, you should be. I feel like this is a pretty clear front runner in terms of features, ease of use, the way that it's presented. 
uh, untapped.gg is just a total winner. Do you agree? Yes, because it's the one I'm switching to. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> it's the one I didn't work with in the past. I, I've had a longstanding relationship with Aetherub.com, and their tracker is called MTGA Assistant, which is good, and I like a lot of things about it, especially the way it plugs the hell out of my content. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, it, but it's definitely worked fine for me. But Untapped uh, has always looked good. Lots of other streamers use it. And they just launched a new overlay for Twitch streamers that looks absolutely fantastic and tipped the scales. Yeah, Yeah, it tipped the scales on what I want to use. If you guys are familiar with Cardboard Live, it's an overlay that lets you get close-ups of the cards while I'm streaming. So you, the viewer, can, like, on Twitch, hover over a card and see exactly what it does. Every time somebody from YouTube comes over to Twitch, like, one thing they have to comment on is how sweet Cardboard Live is. Untapped GG does a lot of what Cardboard Live does in their new Twitch overlay, but a lot better, cleaner, even easier to use. And they're updating it regularly, which Cardboard Live struggled with. So I'm going to be working with Untapped GG starting maybe tomorrow. It's unclear. That's why the timing is so awkward, because I'm not sure which contract I might be under. But they neither one restricts me from saying what I want to say. I just thought it was a pretty funny uh, <laughs> kind of hashtag sponsored, not sponsored joke to make. Uh, awesome, man. Well, I mean, you're going with the right tracker. So let's just talk briefly about some of the benefits of untap.gg. First of all, I think one of the things that, that set them apart right away and for a long time is just that they're very good at tracking the decks that you're playing like in constructed and giving you win percentages and you know they'll track revisions to your deck and the win percentages based on that so when especially when you're on magic twitter and you're watching all of the various people brag about how well they've done on the ladder and stuff and providing screenshots and stuff you'll often see like an untapped.gg screenshot of kind of matchups and percentages and all that kind of stuff. So that's always been a really strong part of untapped.gg, uh, but they do a lot of other things. The the in-game overlay for just being able to look at your deck and figure out things such as how many lands are left in my deck, or do I still have that basic island in my deck, or you know that kind of stuff, is very easy with untapped. So I really like that. Another thing that I like is they recently added a collection tracking feature, which I am somewhat of a completionist. I like to know whether I've collected all the rares in a set, especially because, you know, I draft a lot and I try to build my collection through drafting. And so that collection tracker is really a value added for me. I was using other software to do that in the past. And um, frankly, I just love that Untapped does it. Anything uh, that I haven't mentioned, CGB, that you like about Untapped? You mentioned so many things. Um, yeah, yeah, since I haven't actually used it yet, okay, <laughs> I don't actually right. have it on my computer we'll, right now. We'll get to, we'll, we'll get the update from CGB in a couple <laughs> of is, weeks. Uh, yeah, and it'll be totally he's sponsored. Getting paid to say nice <laughs> this things, is, dude. This is why it's simply the most awkward question. You it could really have asked is. It really is. Okay, a final thing that I like about Untapped. And um, this relates to our friend of the podcast, Nerd Girl. They have an overlay for drafting, which gives you ratings for the cards. And it's a great place to start if you're not familiar with a draft set or if you're new to drafting in general. And so you can see Nerd Girl's ratings and actually read her little short reviews of each card. So that's just another awesome thing to do with Untapped. So that's that's great. That's if you If you only had to pick one, that's the one I would pick. Next 
if you play limited, you have to be rocking 17 lands. I mean, limited is basic. Uh, 17 lands is for limited as untapped GG is for constructed. Uh, 17 lands is an amazing, amazing, amazing piece of software. So uh, first of all, they'll just track your draft from start to finish. You can go back and review each pick. You can review where it all went wrong, where you train wrecked yourself, picking that pet card, which you really shouldn't have picked. Uh, but then it, it will also analyze your gameplay, it'll keep track of your record, and the big selling point with 17 lands is that they freaking track everything and they have a massive database and it just provides more information. Like, I, I feel like people have made entire content creation careers off of analyzing 17 lands data. So... This is like, if you're like a sweaty competitive player, then I highly recommend looking at it. Even if you don't use the information to help your picks, um, it'll it'll tell you about the meta game. If there's a particular card that you are like think you're higher on than other people, you can pull it up on 17 lands and see what the numbers suggest. So anyway, uh, anything about about 17 lands? Just uh, for somebody who hasn't, maybe use 17 lands can you give kind of a like when you're talking about the data like what what kind of data can you give some examples yes so for example 17 lands will tell you what percentage of games um or how likely you are to lose a game of magic after you draw a certain card or how likely you were to win a game of magic once you resolved a certain card or um, wow. it'll so it, it gets granular okay. like that. It's granular, dude. You know, I myself don't really use it because I just I like just kind of going wild. I like raw dogging it, as it were. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> okay, if you can think of a statistic that you'd be interested in knowing, Seventeen Lands is probably tracking it in some way or another, and. They'll have a lot of similar but slightly different metrics. So, uh, yeah, I wish I could provide you like a really, really excellent example. Um, I can't, but suffice it to say that there's many, many different listings you can pull up and charts and rankings and you can sort by, you know, many, many different metrics. So if there's ever if there's something you're curious about, like, does this combat trick work out? when I when I draw it, stuff like that. Or, you know, how often do I get to use so-and-so? Or is this bomby bomb really as bomby as I think it is? Or are other people picking this card as, as highly as I am? All that kind of stuff. 17 lands is tracking. Okay, neat. Yeah, I, I haven't, I didn't touch that one. So, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, sounds like uh, the limited players will love it. So tell the people briefly about what's good about MTGA Assistant because I haven't used that one. So a lot of it is in... Uh, there's a lot in common uh, with what you said about untapped.gg. MTGA Assistant does give you uh, access to your win rates and access to how many times you are on the play, how many times you are on the draw. It has a leaderboard, which I always kind of like to play a game of seeing how high I could get on that of people who use the app to see who's ranked the highest. And that's really fun to do. It has metagame stats, so I can see in best of one or best of three across any of the formats, what is getting the most played by other MTGA assistant users and uh, what their uh, what their win rates are with those decks. So uh, a lot of the same things that you run into untapped G run with untapped GG, but I primarily look at stats. I actually don't 
use the in-game overlays that much where you look at how many of this card are in your deck, what your percentage is to draw land. Um, there's the one that fills up for your opponent's deck, which you can put on the side too. Uh, how many lands you have, how much mana you have available is another little overlay. I find that a bit too cluttered for content. Like I like to try to keep the content looking like most people's so that when a new player tunes in, they don't think, what the heck is all this stuff? Uh, and find it confusing or overwhelming. So I try to keep all those overlays off, but they're available, and I think people would find them useful. I would probably keep them on if I were just playing for myself. Let me ask this. Um, I'm assuming that the software integrates well with the EtherHub site, right? Like if you're someone who uses the EtherHub site for your own deck tracking and stuff, does it integrate well with that? I There are buttons to both export and import, like, right there so if you look up a meta deck on the assistant you can basically download it or go to a link right to aetherhub if you're playing a deck you can click a button to push it right to aetherhub i like that feature a lot actually so those are pretty fun things that you can do with it as well it's really good for constant users of the site but it also works well if you don't use it that often in my limited experience of posting deck lists online have liked EtherHub's interface quite a lot. So um, that's actually a big value added for me. That That is the kind of thing that might make me want to use that software. Awesome. A final one I want to highlight is MTG Arena Pro. This one does a lot of the same stuff as the other ones do. In all honesty, I don't think it's quite as cutting edge or has the features that those other ones do. One of the things I wanted to highlight, though, is that they, they're very good at how do I put it? This tracker is really, really good at doing things like uh, tracking changes to decks and comparing decks. So I actually asked them recently to make a tool, and they did make a tool, which is a deck comparison tool. And so if you have two versions of a list and you want to know what's different about them, then this is a really, really great tool to use. Um, so that's a, a hot feature of MTG Arena Pro that you might want to check out. Yeah, so if you have your favorite Sultai list and you want to compare it to, uh, and you load up like your favorite streamers list and you want to know exactly which parts are different, it can do that for you? It, it can. In fact, there's a, whole, nice. there's a whole part of the software dedicated to Sultai Ultimatum, uh, as it were, because, hey, it's a popular deck. So there you go. At Ultimatum's actually one of those cool lists where like no one can agree on what the right list is, and I just think that's really cool. So... Use MTG Arena Pro and figure it out. All right. Uh, I think that's going to wrap up this topic, but thanks for asking that. Clicks, you too can get your question featured in the Lightning Round segment by going to the ArenaCraft Discord, which you can find a link to in the show notes or the video description. And now I'm excited to talk for a little bit about this questionnaire that we did. So last week we released a questionnaire to the wild. We asked all of our listeners to give us feedback on the show and you spoke. We actually, as of this recording, we have 272 responses to this questionnaire, wow. which is, I think it's it's large enough to begin ex- making some extrapolations based on our audience. So we're just going to go through this a little bit and discuss what stands out to us. And hopefully this will give you listeners an idea and give us an idea, of course, of where the podcast is going to go next. So uh, question one is how long have people been listening to the podcast? And it's a fairly even distribution here. Um, A lot of people about a year long, about six months long, less than three months. Um, So you know, it's kind of nice to see 
like we're hanging on to some old listeners and picking up some new ones yeah it ranges between like a quarter and 30 percent between like less than three months three months to six and so on so yeah people all over the board welcome welcome if you've been here for a year and remember the days of arjuna plus random (laughs) (laughs) then uh you are of the og and you're like about uh 25 percent of the audience indeed Man, those are the those are the true to blue crafties right there, man. The, yeah, because they put up with me. Like ever since <laughs> like I came in here and became a regular and they didn't give up. Like you guys are strong. <laughs> so much CGB tolerance. Uh, so now here's a stat that really interested me is that fifty almost fifty-eight percent of our listeners don't listen to any other MTG podcasts. We're the only one. Where you know, we're the one. In in MTG podcasting, in, in MTG podcasting of one. <laughs> People try to make the pun everywhere it can be made. I understand. It's an awesome. It's an awesome title. It's it's a good branding, man. You know, imitation is the best form of flattery, as they say. Yeah, and then thirty three percent of our listeners listen to a couple others, and only eight percent are in the category that you and I hang out in, Kovaco Blue, which is constantly listening to other podcasts. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that that was something that bonded you and I right away. Is like we yeah. both check out so many podcasts, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting to to see that when you're like fifty, when fifty eight percent of your listeners don't listen to anything else, then it doesn't. It's kind of like if all these other podcasts that we listen to already talked about something, and we feel like ah, eh, we don't want to talk about that exactly. as well. The, we have to remember that there's possibly 60% of our audience that didn't hear it somewhere else. They, they want to hear it from us. So if there are um, interesting tournament results or big announcements about Arena, it just makes, like, I think we're in the same boat. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that it may, that we would agree here. It makes sense that we bring it up on the show, even if it's just a quick, this is what's going on. I agree. Yeah, that stat really stood out to me as one of the, there's a couple of these responses that have yielded some like kind of pay attention to me results and that was one of them so i totally agree i think that we may as a result of that do a little bit more catching people up on the news you know just trying to make this a a one-stop shop for arena information so that's pretty awesome uh next you will be pleased to know crafties that you are among a very dedicated group of players so uh, this next question is, how often do you play Arena? The options were once a week or less, two to four times a week, and five or more times a week. And CGB, over 67% of our listeners play Arena five or more times a week. This game is addicting, man. <laughs> yeah, but, dude. I mean, yeah, I always figured it was like some week that people who aren't content creators are weekend warriors or, you know... But it looks more like people are trying to find ways to engage with the game every day, like part of their daily life. And that's certainly been my life since I was like 14 years old, <laughs> finding ways to engage with magic as often as possible. So uh, I understand. I love you guys. I also want to say 272 responses to the, to the survey. 269 people answered this question. Does that mean there are three people who listen to our podcast who don't play magic? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's an excellent question, CGB. Hi, mom. Hi, Arjuna's mom. How you guys doing? Thank you. Your baby <laughs> boy is beautiful. Doing a great job. <laughs> uh, the ever perceptive Kovac Go Blue. Okay, which term best describes you as a player? This was one of the most important questions for me in making this questionnaire. 
and I found this interesting as well. So the answers were ultra casual, casual slash meme gamer, and then semi-competitive but relaxed. Then the next option was pretty competitive, hits mythic every month. And the last option was ultra competitive, wants to top 1200 every month. And so by far the overwhelming majority of our listeners are in camp number two, semi-competitive but relaxed with 68.5%. Round that up. Round that up. So and that, uh, okay, round, round if, up. if it were sixty nine, it would be very nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Go on. <laughs> so sixty nine percent of our listeners are semi competitive but relaxed, which I I find interesting. CGB. I was thinking that a higher majority, uh, a higher number of people would fall in the third category of people wanting to hit mythic every month, but it turns out that a majority of our listeners don't seem particularly concerned whether they're mythic gamers or not. But they do still... I mean, when you say semi-competitive but relaxed, I get the impression that they actually want to know what's going on in the meta and yeah. feel like in touch with the decks that they play against, and they want to play good lists, probably. Um, so I, that that's what comes to mind, is somebody who wants to be in touch with, with what's going on in the meta and know the matchups and be playing pretty good decks even if it's whether it's their own creation that they're tuning for the meta or whether it's a net deck that they're trying to become better with so to speak yeah yeah i think that's that's perceptive and i agree with you it's interesting to see that 2.6 percent seven respondents said that they're in the ultra competitive top 1200 bracket which i don't know cgb i guess that means that we're just not we're not bringing in the andrea manguccis of the world we're not bringing in the you know the rum teas of the world i guess we're just not really speaking to those folks i'm not uh, yeah we're not quite spike enough but i think that's like i'm really happy like that's where i've been happy making content for a while so hopefully i haven't lowered the bar on your podcast since i joined it Spitting you know, out his water. <laughs> the the spiky magic is a segment well served with podcasts, so I think I think we're yeah. I think we're doing fine. Okay, now this is where it starts. The data starts to get kind of granular and interesting. So the next question was, which formats do you play regularly? Choose all that apply. So not surprisingly, unsurprisingly, the vast majority of people picked standard best of one. So eighty six point seven percent said that they play standard best. That is a lot. It's actually a little That's bit. A so lot. the delta between that number and the percentage who play standard best of three was wider than I thought. So we, we had only 24.8% of people say that they played standard best of three regularly. So 25% playing best of three. See, best of one, is, man. Uh, that that surprised me. That surprised me. Yeah, we have, uh, 69%, we have a, like a large percentage engaging with standard five or more times a week and a lot of them are playing best of one it's very interesting yeah so um I, yeah maybe we need to spend a little bit more of our time addressing that format in particular uh, i think we we have a lot of general standard conversations but i think anyone who plays both best of one and best of three knows that they they can be quite different formats and the matters tend to Indeed. be different and the considerations do tend to be different the next most interesting thing about this to me was that the second most popular option on here, 51.5%, limited best of one. Rigged. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're making things up again, Arjuna. Are you trying to find reasons to talk limited on the show? No, that, that is interesting. I didn't expect that either. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that number really stood out to me. However, we'll address in the next question why that's especially interesting. Uh, rounding this out, so historic best of one is 35% and historic best of three is only 17%. So, you know, less, probably overall less than a third of our listeners really regularly playing historic, which uh, is kind of an interesting thing to consider for me. Brawl coming in at 41.1%. So, yeah, I think more, pe- more people need, play uh... Brawl than I expected. I mean, if if that's going to be the number three thing, if we're going to do like standard best of one talk a good amount and hit limited every now and then because people are into it, Brawl being number three maybe needs a Brawl corner because I don't feel like we've... Have we talked about Brawl at all? I think the two of us have basically spent no time talking about Brawl. Dude, I could talk about some Brawl. Uh, yeah, someday. you've been getting into the format for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, so it. let's segue to this next uh, question because this is somewhat revealing. So the next question, which was, which formats do you prefer that we cover on the show? Now, I specifically split this out into two questions because I thought there might be a discrepancy, and there is. So, uh, again, standard best of one, leading the pack with 85%. So we've definitely heard you loud and clear. You all want to hear about standard best of one. However, when we look to the next most uh, popular stuff, we see the second most popular option here is historic best of one, 57.5%. So, wow. You know, so, so already what this is telling me is that people don't necessarily want to listen to the same content about the stuff that they want to play, right? Which I think is, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of in that boat. There are some conversations I'm more interested in being in on than others. I also think the longer arena exists, the more people are like, what's going on in that historic thing? I, I mean, yeah. I don't play it, but what's going on over there? Is Should I play it? Is it more fun than standard? I'm starting to get bored with standard. I'm, and I've drafted like 500 times, so I'm a little bored with that, and I'm out of draft tokens. Should I should I do that historic thing? So maybe they just want to, they want their uh, favorite podcasters to give them a little peek into what's going on in historic if they think they'll like it. Indeed. And I mean, I'm here to tell you folks, Historic is a very fun format, highly recommended. So the next stat is a standard best of three, 55%. So it's kind of interesting that we had a lot more interest in hearing about the best of three format than we had people saying they were playing it. Dude, so. that, that mirrors me so much. I'm so much more interested in talking about best of three than playing it. It takes so long, so hard. I think part of it is just that we all acknowledge the best of three is important and says a lot about the matter, right? And so I think if you're it gonna, does. like, if you're following tournaments, if you're following anything competitive, you definitely got to be thinking about those sideboards for sure. Now let's get down to limited. So only 41% of people said they were interested in listening to limited best of one content. And so I think what this means to me is I, I don't think that we're going to be spending more time focusing on limited content than we did before. All right. So a good amount of people who play it just still don't even want to hear us talk about it. Exactly. And I'm <laughs> I'm somewhat in that category. Sometimes, I don't know, you know, one of the things I like about Limited is how fluid it can be. And sometimes I'm not just, I just don't really enjoy thinking about it when I'm not doing it, right? Understood. And then uh, Brawl also got 41% of respondents. So, you know, I so what I'm taking away from this is that Standard and Historic is still definitely the modes that people want to know about for our podcast and any of the other formats are going to play third fiddle as it were 
but for every every limited show you get, I get a brawl show. All right, hey, I'm, <laughs> let's let's rack that one up, man. That sounds good to me. I also want to say that only one person out there in the world somewhere voted for hot tub drafting, and I just find <laughs> I find that disappointing. I was really hoping for a higher number there to justify the hot tub as business expense. There you go. Okay. Love it. Love it. Hey, man, if you want to turn this into a hot tub podcast, I'm amenable. <laughs> you're pr- you're almost there already with that, like sporting the tank tops in the summer, dude, showing, giving them the gun show. <laughs> hey, man, I live in Oregon. We enjoy our warm weather when it comes. Next, how did you find the ArenaCraft podcast? Well, this is going to be a, an ego reinforcing stat for Covert Go Blue who is enjoying a nice 77% majority on his content as being a place that people discovered the podcast. So, Kovac Go Blue, say hello to your listeners. You guys are cool. Thank you. <laughs> no, Nothing more needed to be said. Now, I, I always, my, my audience, like, they blow me away with what they show up for. It's kind of amazing. Yep. You know what I'm happy about, Covert Go Blue? I'm happy that I had a content crush on you before I knew about the extent of your reach. It's kind of like meeting a wealthy person and falling in love with them before you know they're wealthy. So yeah, <laughs> I can I can honestly say that I courted you first because I just liked you and thought we had good chemistry and not because I thought that you were like going to be the vehicle for growing the show. That or you're pulling the you you pulled an effective honeypot or what 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 is the trap that they call like the scam that they call where they like get like a rich person to fall in love with yeah, somebody yeah it's like the it's a gold digging scam <laughs> oh right? yeah yeah something, gold digging there it is yeah something like that yeah we ain't saying he's a gold digger anyway I'm I'm glad that that wasn't a part of my motive for pursuing working with you and it has ended up just being a fantastic side benefit oh yeah value add man. <laughs> um and then you know i i, I won't go into 77 percent. that's the stat that should stand out all right what topics would you like to see the podcast focus on more so this is very juicy mm-hmm. and uh it did reveal some interesting stuff so uh the first uh the highest number is metagame discussions 76.8 percent, which is how basically how our content uh, creator relationship began i think the first three shows that we did together were metagame roundups yep and then the second most popular option was competitive deck lists and evaluations right yep so this was one of the most interesting deltas that i saw cgb is that a lot of our listeners did want to hear about competitive deck lists but a very uninterested in the actual competitive scene the pro scene yeah of magic that yeah 33 percent interested in the pro competitive scene which mirrors magic itself they just have never been able to get people interested in the pro scene but they everybody wants to know the decks everybody wants to basically get the the best deck so they can go try to maximize their own time value and win rates yeah that's that's the long story of magic for sure so maybe we need to do less shows talking about who's in this tournament and just grab deck lists and talk about the decks and the changes and the the cards that it plays. And maybe we need to do more of the shows that evaluate one deck. Uh, I think there was a few, pl- plenty of comments about that as well. 
Yes, yeah, those those did register as some of our more popular episodes for sure. Um, and yeah, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for us to give you, the audience, a chance to participate in this podcast. If you've been following a content creator who's like really mastering a deck or someone who's brewing a deck that you really think is going to be tier one, uh, you know, pop into the Discord and drop a note, or you could leave a note in the comments on uh, CGB's YouTube video for the show. Just let us know, because I think we're both always interested in what's next. We're both always interested in the, the Aaron Gertlers of the world, the Rints of the world, people who are kind of brewing around the margins and getting results. So definitely let us know, for sure. And then we also got a lot of people enjoying our card previews and stuff like that. So we're definitely going to keep doing those. Another one that surprised me was uh, overall magic strategy and level ups was one of our highest rated things. I thought that there would be some interest in that, but maybe not massive interest. But it turns out, I think it's one of the more popular things that we do is uh, level up and how to get better at magic episodes. I want to give a shout out to all the people who listened to the scams tier list episode and still took the time to leave comments defending frickin' Necromentia. I mean, you knew it was going to happen, CGB. You knew it was going to happen. I just, I, I'm always, like I said, I'm always blown away by my audience. It's kind of amazing what they do. <laughs> Some people are incorrigible, CGB. They will not stop, man. They will not stop. You can remove all four copies of Necromantia from that deck, and they'll still try to cast it somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what else stands out to you about these numbers, Kovaco Blue? I thought that the new card and preview card reviews would be higher. It's 56.6, which is not bad. And I don't think you and I are going to stop doing them because I think we both both enjoy it and feel a compulsion to do it because I, it prepares me for my job. It prepares you for going out there and doing really well in both limited and constructed early on. Like we just get a better grasp of the cards if we read about them and talk about them with each other. And sharing that with all of you hopefully helps as well and gives you a lot of content. But uh, considering how much time it's taken up in our shows and how much kind of extra that we put into those reviews, like I thought it would be a little higher. And uh, 57% isn't bad, and I'm not saying it's low, but it, it's not the like main draw, the way that we almost kind of make it the main event as soon as there are cards to talk about. Also, uh, I don't see anything here for like bans. Like when there's, I guess MTG Arena news and arena related stuff, MTG news would be where bans fall. But I will tell you, like on a numbers side, listeners, viewers, nothing moves the needle like a card getting banned. Like nothing actually makes people show up like a banning. It's true. Yeah, that's what we've noticed as well. I, I just forgot to put that on here, but... I also didn't need to know that that would be a popular topic, right? So. Yeah, yeah. The, the numbers tell us. They tell us yeah. when we podcast about a ban, boom. Yeah, num- that's it. That's it. the magic. So keep keep printing those uh, Omnaths, wizards. Which topics would you like to see the podcast focus on less? So this is, you know, predictably kind of an inverse of the last question, but we are seeing the pro-competitive scene is tied with add-ons and software for the least popular topics. Is this not the most awkward question 
that clicks ass that you picked for this show. <laughs> I, How do you feel right now that <laughs> I needed to get it out of the way, CGB? I needed That's to awesome. just get it off the uh, plate. <laughs> well, if we didn't do it now, we can't justify it later because That's what add-ons I'm and yeah, add-ons and software is tied with the pro-competitive scene as the things that people want to hear less of. Yes. Yes. Great. Uh, which is funny because we really don't ever talk about add-ons and software anyway, and people still just. They just want less of it, man. So other interesting numbers here are Brawl. We've got 28% yeah. of people seeing they saying they don't really want to hear about Brawl. They want us to focus less on it, and we don't focus on it at Exactly. All. And then, of course, we, go below zero. we did have people saying focus less on Limited as well. So I think that this, in a lot of ways, just reinforces the idea that Focusing on competitive decks, focusing on meta games, focusing on, you know, just how to get the average player to be playing better really seems to be kind of the highlight. Okay. This this Oof. next question was one I wasn't looking forward to the answers on. Oof. How long would you ideally like our podcast to be each episode? I say this as we're pushing 40 minutes on uh, on this without having gotten to our main topic yet. Fortunately, the numbers somewhat reassured me about this. So the options were about 30 minutes, about 45 minutes, about one hour, as long as it needs to be, the longer the better, and don't care, no opinion. So tell me what you're reading from this, Kaboko Blue. 41% of the audience and the majority of the responses says as long as it needs to be. Yeah, baby. And 18% say the longer the better, which those are very similar. Yeah. Very similar options. So we're talking about, what am I, 60-ish, nearly 60% are just like, let's go. Um, And then 20% say about an hour, which is the typical, like what you go for if you're in the podcast business and you're not in like a super long form kind of content thing. Most MTG podcasts strive to be about an hour. You and I have... Every week is like a meme on this for you and I because <laughs> I mean, we come in we come in saying we don't have much to talk about and we end up two hours later being like, oh, I haven't eaten and I'm tired and wow, we recorded a, a marathon. And I just, I think that we just are long-winded people. It doesn't surprise me to see that the audience is into that or they probably wouldn't still be here, yeah. quite frankly. Some survivorship um, bias there. Yeah, yeah, definite survivorship bias. But we appreciate how supportive they are like they're they're down as long as we want to record they'll listen so unfortunately for those of you who chose 30 minutes and 45 minutes i'm i'm sorry i don't think it's i don't think it's likely to get better for you anytime soon um don't take that as an invitation to stop listening but just just know what you're in for you know Mm mm-hmm all right, uh, how regularly do you listen to the ArenaCraft podcast? So we have about almost 50% listen every week, uh, 37% listen most weeks, and the rest of you, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> hey, 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 don't go after the respondents. That's right. That's my job. That's what <laughs> oh. I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. You're the good guy. Re- rewind. So, Covert Go Blue, what are you reading from this chart? 
reading that about fifteen uh, percent uh, don't aren't committed to the dojo here. Aren't, aren't committed to the crafty life. Okay, <laughs> they they listen they listen one to two times a month. Are you serious? Not regularly. What what is this nonsense? Whereas thirty seven percent are here most of the week. Thank you very much. Forty eight percent listen every week. Now you've had a podcast before this podcast. Like you have some podcast background. How do you have any idea? Like what if this is like good for a podcast it sounds awesome for me like if i had these kind of numbers on my youtube videos i have a lot of turnover between videos of who watches i think i'm curious i i this seems like about about average to me it seems about average for like a, a decently performing show one of the things that we have going for us as magic podcast uh content creators is that like people either don't know what we're talking about which is the general population well, they do know what we're talking about, which means they play Magic. And Magic fans are, like, fanatics, okay? If you're someone who yeah. plays Magic regularly, you're, like, a like an opium addict level of involved, right? And so, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of running in our favor. Because if someone's interested in listening to a podcast about Magic Arena, then, like, that, those fish are just right there in the barrel, man. Hey, kid. Hey, come over here. You want to <laughs> you wanna, you wanna try a podcast? <laughs> You look like you need a fix of some uh, MTG content. You wanna you wanna try this podcast thing? Come on, Come on. Uh, let's go. Our podcast is just three MTG arenas and a trench coat. That's that's, that's all this podcast is. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. This next one, I was very interested to see the results on your opinion of our guest interviews. So only twenty two percent of people said love them, do more of them. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting to know. Then we had a majority, 42.5% of people said they're great when done occasionally. Uh, About 32% of people said depends on the guest. And then we had a small minority, about nine, only nine people responded and said they just don't really like them. This mirrors what I found making YouTube content with collaborations as well. You can't do it too often. People really like they tune in to see they they want to know what they expect when they tune into a show and when you're always having something someone different around or something that they don't expect or a topic that they're not into eventually they kind of tune out so uh that's the other important part where they said depends on the guest you know that's 32 percent if you can hit them with a with a, a guest that's like wow awesome didn't know i wanted that you know uh that is people love being delightfully surprised and if there's one thing I constantly am thinking about and rarely succeeding in, but doing my very best every time I can, I try to figure out how to delightfully surprise my audience. Um, and I think that bringing that to the podcast would be like, here's a guest that, that you never knew you wanted. You know, you never knew that this person has this exact information that helps you, that that blows people away. Yep, yep, absolutely. It mirrored my suspicions as well. I think that... When shows have too many guests, they start to lose their focus a little bit. And uh, and also, it depends on the char- the charisma of the guest, to be honest. Sometimes I've listened to a show that has a guest, and I'm like, man, this guest is just not just not really a podcast personality, you know? And that, that kind of hurts it. So, um, you have spoken, we will listen, we'll continue to do occasional guest interviews, uh, just for the, the very, the creamest of the crop, so it were. There are some specific answers here that we're not going to go into detail on, especially tell us one of your 
favorite guests. Um, I don't want to do any kind of popularity contesting going on here, but suffice it to say that if you've appeared on the show, you've probably had at least one person in this list voting for you, so you're cool. Who would you like to see guests on the show? We had a lot of uh, votes for Paulo Vitor Damodorosa, who is like the best magic player in the world right now, so don't don't uh, count your chickens for that one to come through, but you never know. You never know. I sure blew my mind when I got the chance to make that video with him. For like, sure. Yep. I didn't see that one ever happening. So It could happen. It could happen. Uh, also, a lot of votes for Crokies. Um, would love to have the Irish giant on the show, but uh, <laughs> again, it doesn't seem likely. It doesn't seem likely. The best way that you can get someone that you want on this show is by going like into their stuff and telling them to be on the show. All right. So if you're a fan of Crokey's, next time you watch him stream, just say, hey, hey, Steven, you ever thought about going on the Arena Craft podcast? There you go. Oh, oh God. Uh, as a streamer, don't be freaking obnoxious about it. Although Crokey's, go ahead and be obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. Him. But he invites like him. he, he, like that's that's part of his sh- thing. He enjoys it. Don't please do not go into like your favorite streamer who is a generally more typical humble streamer and drive them crazy with this. But do drive Crokey's crazy just you know be tactful about it right be clever don't don't be annoying that's one thing i've learned in life is to just not be annoying you tend to get better results but uh yeah just go go let them know hey this is cool podcast i think you should be on it so some of the things that i gleaned from some of the more specific questions that we asked were um we did actually have a lot of comments related to our card and set reviews And the general tenor of those answers seemed to be, yeah, you guys could afford to do less of them. I do, I think based on this feedback and also maybe how we've been feeling in general lately is that we might try to get a little bit more strategic, uh, a little bit more surgical about our set reviews. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for trying it. Yeah. I think frankly, it'll save both of us some, (laughs) some oxygen as well. So that, that was a big takeaway that I had from reading some of these questions. So I'm trying to see, there's a lot of information here. So I'm trying to see if anything else just like stands out to me as a lot of you gave just helpful feedback on, you know, like how to make the videos better, how to, you know, some technical feedback and stuff like that. We really appreciate that. We're always trying to make the best product we can uh, with the resources that we have available. So thank you for all of that. We're definitely paying attention to that and trying to up-level the show as much as we can. And uh, th- there's, there are some things that I'll just be talking with CGB about behind the scenes about, you know, how to next level as well. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to a lot of things from the show. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for all the feedback. So basically, thank you, Crafties, for giving this feedback. You are an amazing community of people. I have to say that my experience with the Crafty community has just been like 100% positive. Um, probably like the nicest group of people I've ever spent time with and I couldn't be happier about you. So you really are just wonderful people. Thank you so much for showing up, listening to our content, watching us and just being cool. Yeah, it's very, it's great to feel supported and you guys really bring it. So thank you so much out there. Awesome. All right. That was a lot of not main topic to talk about. So now, Covert Go Blue, I'm going to turn it over to you. What do you have for us today? 
I thought it would be fun to look back at Strixhaven and talk about how the set is performing uh, after, I think we're about six weeks after release, and just kind of do a retrospective of what did this card do, what did that card do, what overperformed, what underperformed, what did we think of it, and we can touch on the limited side, we can touch on historic in the anthology if we want to do that, um, but Primarily, I just wanted to look back over the cards, and I, I called it a graduation ceremony because it's June, and there are graduations going on, and it's school-themed, and it just it, it seemed like we could uh, just kind of have a closing the books on Strixhaven and the cards within and what we got right and what we got wrong. So uh, I have a few cycles that I wanted to talk about, and I have a few individual cards I wanted to just kind of throw a card name out, and we can say, this is what it did, this worked, this didn't, etc. But before I do that, uh, those, those were all like standard things. Did you want to give kind of a wrap on the limited format and maybe also talk a little bit about what happened in Historic with the Archive? Sure. Okay. So let's start with limited. Um, I have felt, and I think the general consensus has been that this has been a very fun limited set and quite a deep limited set. It's also been definitely a more balanced set than Kaldheim, which was kind of, um, I, I personally thought Kaldheim was a horribly designed limited set. People still really enjoyed it because it was wild. It was just totally off the chain. But for me, I really like my limited formats to feel like the card designer's clues mean a lot in limited, right? So when you see like a supported color pair or you see like a, you know, a flag post uncommon or whatever, you want to feel unlimited like, okay, this is a deck. I can go into this deck. And if I'm the person drafting it at the table, I'm going to get rewarded and it's going to be good, right? So there's that basic mm -hmm. element of trust in the design. And I think that they've done a really good job on delivering on that in this set um there are a few uh, there's always something that doesn't quite get there for example uh law hold is probably the weakest combo so far which just means that you usually have to splash to get the most out of that color combo you can still you know i've gotten seven wins with law hold decks silver quill is i think kind of emerging as one of the most consistent and strongest archetypes but they have this whole counters synergy which didn't really get there so Silver Quill decks tend to be a bit more like combat tricky. There are some little bit more controly versions. So it tends to be a bit more that way and not about like making this tall board that you're stacking up on. You were going to say something, CGB? Oh, I was just uh, thinking about how the synergy didn't get there and how I guess you probably need the green from Abzan. So you, I, I've seen like when I watch, I've watched a little bit of limited here and there and I, I see a lot of like the tricolor pairs, like the off. What are they called? They're not the shards. The wedges get, get played, I believe, is what yeah. it is. The enemy pairs like Mardu and uh, Abzan and Sultai and Teamer. Seeing a lot of Teamer spell stacks. Yes. Yep. But go ahead. Did did lessons did lessons overpower it? Like mm. like like did you have to have good lessons or it was a bad limited experience? So they weren't required, but uh, strongly advised. The Okay, there's only one less. Uh, the, the mechanic as a whole was really great. Um, I think it did somewhat lessen the replayability of it because you just have the same cards showing up so often. It Get was it, kind lesson. Of... Get it? Get it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, there's only one lesson that really ended up bothering me, and that is environmental sciences. Um, you, 
kind of can't have a good deck in this format without it. And fortunately, it's a common. If this card was an uncommon, people would be first picking it over bombs, I swear to god. The decks where you didn't manage to pick up a sciences are basically always going to be worse than the decks where you did, so that's that's a one miss for the format overall, is that when you have a card, like even a common, even a colorless common, which is basically required to be able to perform, or like for example the sealed pools that have an environmental sciences are like... 10% more likely to win the ones that don't, right? And so like Holy cow. So it's this is like the mythic common of the set and that doesn't okay. happen very often. It really doesn't. So, you know, people are first picking environmental sciences. People are wheeling high tier uncommons in favor of first picking environmental sciences because it's just that important. So, I think I think of that as a fail. Uh, but overall, one of the best limited sets I've played in a long time, and I think it's really, really good. Highly recommended. Um, as far as the Mystical Archive is concerned, um, I mean, I'm stoked about it. I am always happy to see them adding powerful cards and cheap cards. Like, I just, I can't stress this enough, man, is that, like, you can put as many freaking Vorinclexes as you want into Historic, and the format's <laughs> not going to change, right? It's not going to substantially change. The things that change formats are like cheap cantrips, cheap removal, cheap counter spells, you know, and they gave us all of that and more with the historical archive. So I think it's an A plus change. I love it. I wouldn't want to see a set of cards this deep and this powerful entering historic with every set release. Like I think if Wizards decided, okay, Mystical Archive was a success, we're just going to put something like that in all of our standard legal sets going forward, I think that would be a mistake. But, you know, from my perspective, I think it's fantastic that we've got Faithless Looting and Brainstorm in Historic. You know, ban them if they become a problem. That's fine, in my opinion. But, like, let's try them out. I love it. What, what do you think? So they released the metagame for the upcoming Strixhaven Championship and the Historic portion here uh, just recently. And I'm trying to pull it up quickly because it's really interesting and um yeah if if you didn't see it i'm like following magic twitter on esports is how i find this stuff and it's kind of weird that you have to do that and use twitter when it's not really my thing but um is it so it kind of shows just how insanely pushed blue and red really were by the archive because uh 35 of the historic meta is going to be is it Phoenix. Now, this is an incredibly popular deck. I'm not surprised a lot of people are playing it. But 35%, those are numbers that usually push broken territory in an event like the Strixhaven Championship, which is not like an MPL size field. It's a wider field. I, I think it's between three and 400 players. I could be wrong on that. Somebody might correct me on that. But it's, it's over 200, I believe. So that's a big deal. And then uh, 18% of the meta is Jeskai Turns, which is Time Warp, Brainstorm, Velamachus Lorehold. It just tries to take all the turns with the creativity card. Uh, Indomitable creativity? Yeah. Um, yeah, which that one surprised me. Not that I wasn't surprised that someone would choose it. I'm just surprised that it was the second most popular deck in the Mata game. I didn't think it was that good, basically. Yeah, pretty surprising. Jeskai Control, which I think a lot of people thought was the best deck in the meta, is number three with about 10% of the meta. So 35% is Is It. 18% is Jeskai Turns. Another 10% is Jeskai Control. And we talk about how over 
power push green is? Well, the first green cards don't show up until 7% of the meta, and it's Jund food. How the, how the mighty have fallen, CGB. Um, kind of crazy. I did want to comment that I think one of the one of the undercurrents of the second and third most popular deck in this registration, uh, one of the things that that highlights is the importance of Lightning Helix. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, we both knew that that was a strong card coming into Historic, but I don't think either of us imagined that it might actually end up being one of the most popular cards in the format. But I think when you look at the second half of this list, it will teach you a lot about why the first half of this list is so popular, right? Go ahead. Yeah. When you when you think about what's not there, when you look at a meta and say what's not there as we've looked at the top four decks, there's no aggro. Yeah. Like nobody's going on the beatdown. And the most popular aggro deck at five percent of the meta is mono black. Yeah. Because they can play things like Spawn of Mayhem, that is Helix Immune. You know what I mean? Yeah, or they play one drops where like sure your opponent helixes it, but that's not that big of a deal. You just yeah. get it. Dread back. Wanderer, Gutter exactly. Bones, just keep bringing them back. Yep. Um yep. and Jun Food as well is worth noting. Like with Witch's Oven, they they avoid that life gain trigger yeah. because they just sacrifice it. So uh everybody is kind of prepared. Like Lightning Helix has pushed I think a lot of the decks that want to exist out of here, just any kind of other aggro strategy, Goblins is not on this list. And that is bizarre with a card like Muxus. But it is true. There's no there's no Goblins here. Gruel is 4% of the field. I Just on that note, I watched Andrea Mangucci playing against Goblins with Phoenix. And he was just killing him first. <laughs> He was like, sweet yeah. Muxus, bro. I'm killing you on turn four. You know, my yeah. my Muxus goes off harder than yours does, and my Muxus is called Faithless Looting. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting point for sure. I, I mean, it is, and Jeskai turns can take all the turns before that happens. Memory Lapse is a beating. Like, if you're going to yes. cast spells like Iron Craig Feet or Sacrifice Goblins or even to, like, a Phyrexian Tower to Ramp or to a Skirk Prospector and get Memory Lapsed, it is a game changer. The very first time that happens, you're like, oh, this deck isn't a thing anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. just over. Yeah, imagine playing Goblins. You're facing off against Is It, is it Phoenix. And half of their deck is, like, shocks that kill your cheap Goblins. And the other half of their deck, they have access to Memory Lapse and Ether Gust out of the board, right? Like, mm-hmm. how are you really expecting to win that game? It's it's going to be tough. <laughs> it's going to be tough. So we're kind of getting deep into historic metagame, which maybe should have been a, a show. But I yeah. was just going to bring those numbers up to highlight the impact of the archive and how much it seems to have pushed blue and red. Blue and yeah. red seem to be all over there in a... A number of forms and i'm going to transition it into the graduation ceremony again because the first graduation that we're going to cover and kind of look back on are the elder dragons so yes. uh if you remember the five elder dragons the five mythic dragons galazeth prismari and belladris wither bloom i should test you and make you name them since i'm the guy who always names the cards yeah shadrick uh, silver quill so wait, so you said Prismari, you said Velimachus Lawhole, uh-huh. Shadrix Silverquill, Belladros Witherbloom, and uh, Tanazir Quandrix. Got him. Uh, yep. So how would you rank those in, in terms of just impact on magic? Okay, so Velimachus Lawhold seems to have come out on top. 
like in terms of it's it's like a top tier card in historic also seems to be i don't know this for sure but i think it's like a fairly compelling card just in like brawl and you know some other kind of commandery formats so i'm gonna put lawhold first with uh galazeth prismari being second but yep. if someone argued to reverse those just based on the popularity of Galazeth in uh, Standard in particular, I wouldn't blame them. Yep. Those two seem to have come out of come out of it as playable. Velimachus really only in Historic because of Time Warp. Like, Time Warp seems to have been the thing to push it. I've tried a number of Velimachus decks in Standard. They're okay. They're not great. And uh, Shadrix and Tanazir and Belladros just so far... I would call unplayable in standard, unfortunately. Just haven't really done it. Belladros is the one that's most asking to be broken, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Oh, oh God. The, my time playing that card has been painful, <laughs> yeah. quite honestly. Painful. How, the number of times it's died and left me with a pest and 10 less life and not infinitely ahead on board like I planned has been very sad. Yeah, it's it's definitely got to be a certain brew, you know, but the, the power level is there. I like that we had hits from the dragons. I was kind of worried that none of them would be a hit, and so mm-hmm. I'm just happy. And I do I do think Velomarka's Lawhold has a lot of potential, so I will not be surprised if we're seeing a lot of Velomarkasing happening post-rotation. Agreed. And one other thing that I will note is we were having the discussion of is Velomarkus Lawhold worth cheating into play? That was one of the things that we asked um, in the set review. We weren't sure at the time. I think it has proven that it is worth cheating. And it's another one of those cards where, you know, all we need are like more five cost instants and sorceries to just make it even more worthwhile. If anybody uses the sound bite from Arjuna saying it is worth cheating out of context, I will hunt you down. There you go. <laughs> Mama CGP taking care of her cubs. Love it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, so moving along. So there's a mythic cycle of cards that are spells on one side and legendary creatures on the other. Can you name the cycle? Spells on one side, legendary creatures on the other. So... Not the uh, and this is mythics, mythics. The mythics, boy. I don't, so yeah, we've got Jadzi as one. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. Let me. I'm not going to be good at this though. You, you can use a lifeline when you want to. Uh, okay, so there was the green one, which draws a bunch of lands. That that is no, that the, is Jadzi. That's that is Jadzi. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. Nah, I'm 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 flung. There's out only of three. This one. There's only three. Okay. I'm, I'm flunking out. What, what else have we got? Extus, Auric Overlord, oh, with the backside right. of Awaken the Blood Avatar. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And then the Blex the Vexing Pest is the third one. I wasn't going to remember that one in a thousand years. <laughs> so out of these, I, I have just failed in every way of trying to make Jadzi a thing. And that is a card that just makes me want to throw up my hands and never try to 
brew a deck ever again with the amount of failures I've had with it. Blex is the thing that gets shoved down my throat by chat the most that I don't see ever being a thing and hasn't worked out. But Extus is trying to hold together an archetype of a unique sacrifice deck that uses Awaken the Blood Avatar, splashes white to cast the Extus side sometimes, and I still think that deck is very good. And if Emergent Ultimatum weren't what it is, like if... If Emergent Ultimatum were banned from Standard tomorrow, I would look at that black-red sacrifice deck with Extus as a potential top-tier deck immediately the next day. Yeah, I think, think it has a strong likelihood of being a contender post-rotation. Plum the Forbidden, the Witch. It's it's already a fairly well-supported archetype. You've got Eye Twitch, which is looking to be poised to be probably a standard playable card moving forward. So... It, it, it is tough, right, because it's going to be losing some of its better cards as well, but I, I agree with you. I think that overall the deck has a lot of strong stuff going on and seems to be pretty well positioned to survive rotation. So because you mentioned iTwitch, we're going to proceed into talking about learn and lessons in uh, Standard, all right? And so far, like, tournament results and pro scene stuff has kind of shown us nobody is playing these cards in constructed in like in, in best of three it's just not in really, best of three it's, it's just not a, not not a thing at all yeah but because best of one is a very different format and because best of one isn't played in the competitive scene i think it's worth that i think it's worth worth taking time because i don't think enough people are playing lessons in best of one I, I think the amount of people I run into who aren't using the learn mechanic at all is very high. And I think that's wrong. I I am going out of my way. I don't think it's by a lot. It's not like this is strictly wrong. But I think that it is a value add to have some amount of learn cards in your deck when you play best of one because having access to a few niche answers or just some extra value in your sideboard is worth a lot because the games are very narrow margin in best of one. Like there's only so many advantages you can gain. You're both probably playing, if you're on ladder, you're both probably playing a meta deck. Somebody's going first and they have about a 10% win rate advantage just because of that. And from there, the cards you drew have to line up with theirs and you only get one shot in this battle. So if one of you has a lesson and you're up a card because of it, that's really important. So what do you think about the learn cards in best of one? Uh, I think that the learn cards really got there for limited. Um, I think for constructed, I I feel like they played it a little too safe for constructed. When I go down the list and look at them, I wish that there were just a few more really standard playable lessons. Yeah. And yeah. by and large, there aren't. And and I don't think that mascot exhibition is the card that really pushes us over the edge. Although it's good, I'm Ooh. not saying it's not good. Mm. But I'm I'm winning a lot of games with mascot exhibition. It's good, but I, I don't think that that card alone will compel you to put a learn card in your deck that you otherwise wouldn't have put in, right? So sure, and and there are decks that where I never plan to hit seven mana, where I don't even bother with mascot exhibition in my sideboard. But yeah. first of all, I don't think that red got a good one. I I think if you're mono red, you just don't learn anything which lines up perfectly with my shtick about mono red here's the thing though if you are a mono red player 
it is strictly incorrect to not have some lessons in your sideboard, even with no learn cards in your deck, because you might robber of the rich a learn card. Yeah. Next level, man. Yep. So you should you should add lessons to your sideboard. Yep. It's free. It's best of one. You know, just do it. Yep. I, I always love testing them. Like when they robber of the rich, my professor of symbolo- symbology, sim, sim, I say sim blah, 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 because people correct me no matter what I say. Um, but when they steal my learn card and they play it, I'm always like, all right, how high is this red IQ? Did they put lessons in their board because they're running robber of the rich? When I think about the lesson learn mechanic for constructed, I think the Esper colors have the best shot. Um, I think mm-hmm. white is has proven itself to be very strong. Professor of Symbology is just a rock-solid magic card, in my opinion. Uh, Eye yeah. Twitch is also very good. Barring Regimen is surprisingly good in the in an aggressive shell with like almost all creatures otherwise. Like That card is very good. Yeah, and then the... Uh, what's the Pest one? Pest Summoning or something? Um, uh, pest Summoning is the lesson. The Learn card is... Is specimens? Yeah, Something hunt specimens? for specimens, maybe. Hunt for specimens. Anyway, in a in a past deck, that card I think is solid. Um, Eye twitch, of course, as we mentioned, and then I also I do like divide by zero, which I know is a card that you've played. Yes, I I love divide by zero. I put it in so many decks. I crowbar it into so many decks. So I think yeah. those are all really really solid cards, which I think you can play in standard without feeling any shame. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do agree. I feel like red and green really kind of got the shaft. Yeah, the the green lessons aren't the finest either. What what do we have? We have the the gnarly the four professor. Mana, the gnarly professor. That's yeah. the one. Now that is good, but it competes with too much other stuff. When you're playing a five five in Lovestruck Beast on turn three, the gnarly professor just doesn't. It's not very impressive. Your turn if you're a green deck that is in the market for a good sized creature your turn four is great henge or ember cleave not the gnarly professor yeah agreed yeah there's just there's an embarrassment of riches in the chonky part of the curve for green and so you know yeah we're not we're not turning like if i wanted advantage more chonk and advantage in my deck i'd probably just be playing extra like old growth trolls or something right mm-hmm too bad the the black white and blue like like you said though the esper like that is kind of where you want more card advantage right because mm-hmm. you lean closer to control although professor of symbology is really great to like fill up a winota curve where you can just play that on turn two go get spirit summoning play that on turn three it doesn't matter that you spent turn three casting like a vanilla three two token it still triggers winota so it's gonna have double strike so it's fine professor just as you have proved is a card that can work in aggro and in a slow matchup like with yorian it's just a good card oh yeah i I have really enjoyed flickering it with yorian big surprise (laughs) all right any final notes on the lessons and the learn cards for best of one um, just like I said, I wish that they'd pushed. I wish they'd made just like one or two other really high impact lessons. And mm-hmm. uh, so maybe a missed opportunity, but they played it safe. That's fine. All right. I have one more category to talk about. And then I just want to throw some individual cards back and forth of what we think were the highest impact individuals from the set. And then my little graduation ceremony speech will be done. So the planeswalkers is my next uh kind of which of these rose to the top and the planeswalkers we have are kazmina the enigma sage 
We have Mila, Crafty Companion. We have Professor Onyx, and we have Rowan, Scholar of Sparks. Does Do any of these stand out to you as a talking point? Yeah, I think Professor Onyx was the clear winner out of these. Going straight into Ultimatum and definitely holding her spot. After trying Ultimatum again, I definitely feel like the, the Onyx, Onyx with the Praetor is a really solid combo. Yep. With Vorinclex is the name Onyclex. I was searching yeah. for. <laughs> Do the Onyclex combo. The Onyclex, there you go. So, yep, so that was really good. Um, I mean, Onyx has been played in a few just other non-Ultimatum decks and has, I think, held her own. Like, if you play the Titan's Nest, I think that's another example. CGB is a little skeptical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this, CGB. As a control mage, like as a Demir mage or whatever, like, are you, are you ever reaching for Onyx or are you not feeling it? I have built many decks with Professor Onyx, but again and again, I keep coming back to, there's just this awkward situation where she's kind of good the way that Valky is good, in that when you can play a Valky on a board that has nothing except for the one other thing, and minus the Valky, that's really awesome. If you play Valky on an empty board and plus it, that's really awesome. Professor Onyx has the same role and is a mana less. However, they both have the same challenge. Because if you think about these cards outside of Sultai Ultimatum, you just don't see them very much. And that challenge is, at that stage of the game, one of two things is happening. Either that board isn't there because the opponent has multiple creatures and sacrificing one doesn't really cost them anything and plussing doesn't impact the board, or they're going to Ultimatum you next turn. And that little bit of cool advantage you gained from plussing your Planeswalker isn't going to matter in the shape of their over-the-top strategy coming together. So expensive Planeswalkers of the traditional variety that plus to gain some advantage, minus to deal with a thing, when they cost six or more mana, that's probably the right cost for them because they live in an awkward place where you have to play a game around getting them in a good position. The number of times I've played like a control shell and had Professor Onyx and just looked at it in my hand like, I can't play this right now, is way too much. So it's it's not an overpowered card, but I'm okay with that, because Planeswalkers were overpowered for two years, and these aren't overpowered. If Onyx had been in War of the Spark, she would have cost one less, and it would have been a plus two instead of a plus one or something. <laughs> oh, like. God. Yeah, so I, I agree. I like where she is. I wouldn't really want her to be more powerful, so... I think overall good design job. The rest of the ones that you mentioned just don't even register for me. Yeah. Uh, Luca just, like, we talked about Mila Crafty Companion and how good it was. And the problem is people just do better things for their mana and ignore your cool little target my stuff ability. They just curve out and do stronger things on their own. The backside's almost irrelevant, at least right now. Um, Rowan is kind of a shocker. Ha. Um, <laughs> but... Like, if she comes down on three in kind of a control face-off where there's nothing to pressure her, two pluses and then you emblem is very strong, but it's so specific and so narrow. Uh, I don't think it's very good. I think she's just being held back by her plus ability being so weak, right? Yep, yep, it's true. If it, if it were even a scry, it would be... And that we you know how we feel about that bit of a scam, but it would be so it would be better. I want to scry or add a red mana to my pool. I don't know, just to, just give me something a little more, right? Yeah, and Kazmina I'm worried about because Teferi is going to rotate in the fall, and Kazmina might not even have a friend making it 
playable after that. It's kind of bizarre. Although I will say with Teferi, like the options with this card were better than I ever thought they were because with Teferi, you can minus X to make a creature at instant speed on your opponent's turns, which is like if they attack your Teferi when you have a Kazmina out and you minus the Teferi for six and make a six, six and block. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome, man. Another thing that I think is a bit of a shame with Kazmina is that ideally we would have had like another standard playable fractal card. Yeah. And we just didn't really get the fractal support. So it's a little bit of a shame. All right. I'm into basically my cards of the set. So my nomination for the valedictorian, the champion of Strixhaven is Magma Opus. Mm, Okay. Very nice. I, oh yeah, this, this card, the ability to make a treasure early turned out to be so much more impactful, even if you never use anything else about the card, but combined with Torrential Gear Hulk, Mizzix's Mastery, uh, or just ramping into Galazeth Prismari, into Goldspan Dragon, and then casting this thing in standard, this card has actually showed up in a number of decks, a number of places, and had a very big impact on multiple formats, which is more than I would have thought possible uh, upon my first read of the card. So I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think it's just cool for... We we wrote it off to some extent when we first looked at it, and it's just cool that it has ended up being all that it promised and more, right? So I think that yeah. I think that it really did earn its seat at the table and just a very cool card design. So yeah, fantastic card. I dig it. Do I get to nominate one? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Elite Spellbinder definitely gets my nomination. Oh, oh. Um, I've been getting wrecked by this card in Historic. Wrecked. Wrecked. I had, you know, I had this great turn where my opponent goes, uh, they go turn one Llanowar Elves, and I go, I'm on the play, I mean on the draw, and I go turn one, my turn, one Thoughtseize. And I nab their Spellbinder out of the hand, and I'm like, okay, I can win this game. And then they top deck a Spellbinder and play it on turn two, and then I'm like, I'm never going to win this game, ever. So, yeah, that card has just been shredding. That card's been shredding in Historic, and uh, I expect it to be a player moving forward in both formats. I think that card is the main reason that there isn't a real control deck trying to hold ultimatum in check in Standard, because the aggressive decks Winota and Mono White get to play this card. Uh, Also, Naya Adventures is playing this card as well. They get to play this card that just comes down and ruins your strategy. A a constant in my videos or streams with controlled axes, I'm like, turn two, I'm planning to do this. Turn three is this. Turn four is this. And that's how we stabilize and keep their Winota from popping five times. And instead, what happens? Elite Spellbinder on three. And I, I just have to every time groan like, oh, no. My plan's not going to work, and I'm going to die instead. And that card is, yeah, that card is amazing. And the other one card that I thought might be a top five card in the set and said it might even be the best card in the set at the time we reviewed it before the whole set was spoiled was Blade Historian. Blade Historian is very good, but the reason it's good is Elite Spellbinder. Otherwise, that thing would just come down, die, or the creatures it would prop wouldn't hit the opponent. The fact that Spellbinder comes down, exiles the removal spell, and then hits for six evasion the next turn with the help of the Historian is so much better. Yeah, I think the combination of like Doge, Binder, Historian, that's that's a really solid foundation for a deck. Doge? Is yeah. that your way of saying the dog? The doggo? Yeah, the doggo. What is it's the Doge? Yeah. The Doge? Okay. Doge. Just Have you never just, heard that before? All right. Is that a British thing? 
or an Oregon thing. I, I'm surprised, <laughs> Kawako Blue. You're, you're usually on top of your memes. Um, do, the Doge is such a prominent meme that they actually named okay. a freaking... Okay. Uh, I've seen the meme. Cryptocurrency after it. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, I've seen the meme. All right, I got it. But I just never equated it with the magic <laughs> selfless savior. It's always my doggo or my doggy. <laughs> it is the doggo or the doge. So yeah, so... Those three cards, are just you know, you can put those in a Winota deck. You can put them in another deck. They're they're very solid together. I hope the editor, Bottle Brush. I hope you put the Doge up here <laughs> oh, for this right. particular we'll, discussion. We'll get some Doge, love it. Yeah. What uh, what what else do you have for me? Uh, I think that's the main part. Are there are there any other cards that you think deserve a shout out or mention from Strixhaven? And then I'll like kind of sum up my thoughts on the set as we do the commencement address any other cards that you want to throw in there like oh yeah that card was is important to constructed i don't know that this is an amazing constructed card but i did just want to shout out one of my favorite cards in the set show of confidence Mm -hmm. this is an absolute house and limited and i do think that it has a place in constructed as well especially post rotation no bone crusher maybe these uh these white magecraft aggro decks are actually a thing but going off of the show of confidence is just one of the most fun things that I've like like the um yeah. the Leon and Light Scribe combo yep. with show of confidence is just really something fun to do. So that that's just from a design perspective, I've really enjoyed that card. Same with Plum uh Plum the Forbidden. Like when you pop off with either of those cards, the feels are good. Yeah. So the the last individual card I'm gonna say, this is the most likely to succeed. All right. Because it basically already is, and it's probably going to be a staple all over Magic for a long time. And might be the biggest card to come out of the set. Expressive Iteration. Mm, yes. This card is actually putting on a show across multiple formats. And it seemed like just another kind of cute selection card. But it's been so much more than that in so many ways. Yeah. What do you think makes this card so special? I mean, draw two for two boom <laughs> i mean so so here's the thing not only is it a draw two for two but it's it's select from three right yeah so look at three keep two in most situations is just happens to be a very strong magic card and in historic it's a draw two that's not a draw two so narset can suck it yeah i mean it's just, that's yeah. it it fits into so many plans it plays around various things um it's just it's just a really good magic card yeah, I never would have thought I'd see it in like Jeskai Control, but it's there. It's there and is it Phoenix uh, often as a four of. And uh, yeah, it's just all over the place. Awesome card. Then finally, like Strixhaven. So this was a set review where we talked about have it having pretty much no impact on the formats and being a pretty weak set overall. But a few cards did rise above. And especially, I, I find it so interesting. I'm not surprised that Historic was impacted because the Mystical Archive was designed to shake historic yo yeah probably the biggest impact possible standard wise i'm not surprised that we don't see impact in best of three but i think that the impact to best of one has been substantial and is less than it should be i actually think that a lot more uh innovation should be done in best of one with Strixhaven, and it worked out a little better than i expected i still wasn't a game-changing set a lot of the best decks just still are the best decks but they're are a lot of cool things to be done. What do you think of Strixhaven as a in a in retrospective? I I'm just waiting for rotation. Gotcha. 
So, okay, there are some things like the Dean cycle, I think, was just destined to be disappointing for Constructed. I, I still don't understand the point of that cycle. Yeah, so there, there were a number of cards in the set that I felt like were just a, they're just a little more meme than they needed to be. Even if they were designing for Commander, I still feel like some of these cards are just ultra meme So that continues to be my biggest critique of the set, as I feel like there were just some design spaces that seemed to go off the rails a little bit. But as far as like the, the actual playable solid cards, I am excited to see what they do once these powerful sets rotate out and we're kind of left with what happens next. You know, like for example, I just personally always like when the black-white combo is playable, right? If, if there's like any standard deck, which is, you know, Ozov or in this case Silverquill, uh, whenever that space is open, I just think that's really cool. So... I hope that there are certain color combos that just do get a little bit more fun in the sun as a result of this set being released. One thing I will say, usually when uh, these guilds, or in this case, these schools get pushed, these colleges get pushed, then you have to be playing those color combinations in the future. And at least that's not the case here. I'm pretty sure that whatever comes out in the next set is not going to mean that you have to play a combination that has a a snarl to be competitive. Like it, that's just not the way that it is right now. The, the, none of the houses are too pushed. So they're not going to define the meta. So when rotation happens, we're not going to immediately be like, well, this takes over obviously because that's none of them really do that. I think this set's done a good enough job of it's, it has been iconic enough, impactful enough, and they've introduced enough interesting stuff like the mystical archive and limited is good, and so overall, I'm gonna give this set a. a, a I was gonna say an A, maybe it gets a B plus, somewhere in that range, maybe A minus. I'll give it an A minus. Really? Just because I think that they put enough into the set to make enough people in enough formats happy that I think that it has done a really, really good job. Overall, right. happy it was released. Yeah. I'm happier with it. I, I would have probably given it like a D before playing with it. And I'm closer to a B minus B now. I, I'm okay with it. I hope I'll love it even more in the fall when Eldraine isn't the shadow that and Ikoria isn't the specter looming over the format. When companions are gone, ultimatums are gone, adventures are gone. Oh, what a wonderful world it will be. But there will be many more shows between then and now to talk about that. So that concludes my commencement address. Thank you for coming to my speech. Okay, done. So now let's, let's all go get drunk and make poor decisions, one of which is not listening to this show. So thank you very much for showing up to listen to the Arena Craft podcast week in and week out for a majority of you anyway. You can find us on all of the places you would commonly find us. You can watch this on Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel if you're listening to the audio version. You can listen to an audio version if you like to watch it but can't do so on a week or whatever. So remember those two options are available to you. You can support the show directly via the Patreon. And uh, we really appreciate our Patreon supporters. Last I checked, we had like about 47 of those. You're all wonderful people. Cool cats. Highly appreciated. So um, patreon.com forward slash podcast. You can find the link down below in whatever medium you're using. All right, CGB, I will look forward to checking in with you next week about whatever there is to talk about in Magic Arena. Later, crafties. <laughs>